Peter was so close. Last week, he named with clarity who Jesus was, how he had encountered him as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus was so encouraging, giving Peter those proverbial keys of the kingdom, pointing to his witness as the very foundation of the sacred community. And now it just got real, and Peter is deeply troubled. Jesus has turned his face towards Jerusalem, and he seems to know that this way is only going to gather speed, moving faster and faster towards a terrible end. He tells the disciples as much. He's intent on preparing them for what's coming and for the new life that will unfold after that apparent end. Faced with this information, this this sudden crossroads, Peter has a choice to make. And he thinks this is absurd. I can see him yanking Jesus by the arm, pulling him away from the group, getting up in his face, and just lighting into him. Why would Jesus get himself killed? Not on Peter's watch. There has to be a way out. And maybe there is. Jesus could go into hiding. He could flee. He could assume a low profile and let the dust settle. Except that he isn't willing to stop loving, stop healing people, stop proclaiming this reconciling grace of God. The good news is that urgent. He recognizes that forcing those who are living in destitution to wait and apathetically letting the powerful continue to determine the status quo, he recognizes that these are primary ways of confirming oppression. And Jesus is not going to back off on loving the world, loving the world fully and completely, even if it scares the people in power so much that they kill him. Path A and path B are laid out plainly for the disciples to consider. What do we do when we arrive at one of these critical turning points? When we come to a cross like this, which way do we go? Like Peter, I understand the temptation to jump in and try to control the way forward. I want my people to be protected. I don't want their hearts broken or their hopes dashed. I want to I rein it all in and limit the risk. And when I notice this pull in myself, my mind returns to a small community that I've spent time in. 
At another point in my life, I was part of this little group that met for prayer and for reflection. We spanned generations and perspectives and theologies, and we regularly came together in this tiny little chapel with our chairs in a circle. It was as simple a gathering as it was robust. We began by reading aloud about the saint of that day, following the the calendar of the saints. And after finishing the story of this particular holy person, modern or ancient, the leader would ask, so what did you hear today? And often, what we had heard was stunning and also perplexing and frightening. How could that person have been so selfless, so visionary? How could Jonathan Daniels, who took off from seminary to work in voter registration drives in Alabama, how could he have decided in an instant to push a teenage girl out of the way and take a bullet himself. How did Claire and Francis reject their wealth and their ease, choosing instead the the hardship and the wonder of life in community and with all of creation? How did Samuel Shereshevsky persevere at the end of his life, translating the scriptures into Mandarin, even through chronic illness and paralysis, ultimately typing the whole of his translation with just two fingers? How did the four chaplains of the SS Dorchester give up their lifeboat to other sailors and then sing their way down into the dark, cold sea? When they came to that critical point, how did each of these saints choose that way? As we sat with these stories, these big questions were usually followed by a quieter one, a wondering filled with trepidation and hope. What would I have done there? Who would I have been on that day? Many times, I think the answer is that we are Peter as he wrestles with discipleship. We flail, we we grasp for certainty, we try to direct the narrative in a safer, cleaner way. It's a response that is rooted in love, even as it ultimately hems in this greater love. And Jesus is clear that that Peter's choices, even just Peter's words, matter. Just as Peter's insight into the identity of Jesus was sufficient for Jesus to rename him as the rock, his words, his stance in the world, are also enough to pose a threat to Jesus and to the kingdom he is trying to bring forth. Peter hasn't even taken real action to stop Jesus, but even his words are potent enough that they could be a stumbling block. 
His perspective is so powerful that Jesus calls him out as Satan, as the tempter. Maybe it's harsh. That's also stunning that a disciple's words and actions could matter that much. Every day we come in varying degrees, we come to these crosses. Crosses that we may choose to bear, yes, but also these crossing paths, these moments where we choose one way forward or another. I see that point of intersection in our symbol, in the cross, together with that image of the tool of the crucifixion. When we come to the cross, how will we respond? If our words and our actions do make an impact on the people and the world around us, how will we discern? My hope for these times of the cross, it lies in reflection and in practice. There are so many ways to reach for this, ways to try to learn how to respond with bold love. And one place that it has happened for me has been gathered with other seekers, poring over these stories of actual people, examining how they chose, how they responded, considering our own lives then layered on theirs, and then reaching and praying and wondering about how we might join them. At its core, I I think the work of the saints is about letting go of the false need to control, to lend our energy and our presence to building up this boundless love instead. That, I think, is what Jesus wanted from Peter. Jesus didn't need Peter's protection. Jesus just needed his friend's presence, his readiness to walk with him, to stay with the group and and continue with Jesus even beyond this crossroads. And that is easier said than done. When we come to that cross, when we're faced with what seems like an impossible decision, it is so very tempting to grab hold of the design, manipulating the plan to match our vision learning how to live out this courageous love on our own, it's too tall an order. This is why we have the examples of all these remarkable holy people, these saints who have gone before us who wrestled with these same questions. We can live like them by living with them, surrounding ourselves with their stories, carrying their questions with us, reaching to practice their bold and faithful responses. Over the years with that group of mine, I found that that simply by steeping myself in their stories, the, the saints began to change me and shape me. As I took in their witness season after season, I found that They had each been giving of themselves into this well of courage, a well I could draw from when I found myself stumbling, when I needed more heart, more grounding, 
more hope. We were never meant to follow this living God on our own, to pick up this cross and plunge headlong into the risk alone. And here is the good news. We learn and discern, we act and respond, all from within this great cloud of witnesses. The faithful who already began the work of building God's realm long before any of us arrived. When we come to the cross, when it is our turn to decide who we will be and how we will respond, remember that we are surrounded that we are held by this multitude of holy witnesses.